Today on Let the Bible Speak. During Jesus' time on earth, the scriptures consisted of the Old Testament. So how did Jesus view the scriptures and how did he use them? Stay with us. We'll talk about that next on Let the Bible Speak. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Thanks for joining me today. It may seem like a strange question to ask, but it's actually a very important one. How did Jesus view the scriptures? Jesus had a Bible to read, to live by, and to preach from. He referred to it and he quoted it often. I'm talking, of course, about the Old Testament scriptures. They were the basis of proving that he was the promised, anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah sent to Israel and to the world. He told the Jewish people of his time in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 37, And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. God first revealed Himself to mankind through the witnesses of creation and conscience. Unto the Jews with whom He made a covenant, He revealed Himself to them through special revelation. That is, He spoke to them through their prophets, and what they wrote as a result became the Old Testament Scriptures, which were fully in existence when Jesus came to earth. In fact, there was already a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament Scriptures called the Septuagint. That was widely used in Jesus' day and the Apostles' day because by then most Jews could no longer read the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, They were Hellenized. So, in effect, they had a Bible. And how Jesus viewed and used that Bible should tell us a great deal about how we should view and interpret the Bible that we have today. So, for a little while, we'll look at Jesus' attitude toward the Scriptures. Stay with me for that study in just a moment.
do the scriptures represent in your mind? The attitude of religious people toward the Bible is quite varied. Some see the Bible as the verbally inspired and infallible Word of God, while others believe it's the writings of men who were merely influenced by the Holy Spirit. Still others believe that it's an antiquated collection of writings by primitive men who really didn't understand much and were grasping for some understanding of the world and the events of their times, and so they were just sort of interpreting and predicting as they went along. Well, one thing that is beyond dispute is the Old Testament scriptures were in existence during Jesus' earthly life, and he referred to them often. And how he used them and interpreted them should tell us how he viewed the scriptures and thus how we should view the Bible today. Many, even in churches of Christ, I might add, are espousing a new hermeneutic, that is, a new way of looking or interpreting scripture, a new way of uh, interpreting and applying the Word of God. For example, they say that we should see the Bible as more of a general love letter from God, or some go as far as to suggest that now, we should simply see the Bible as giving us a window into the ancient world and addressing issues that arose in Bible times that were distinct to those churches at the time. And maybe we might glean principles from those apostolic interactions with those churches, but they don't have a great deal of bearing on how the church conducts itself today. Some say that the Bible does not provide any pattern for the worship and work of Christians today and should not be looked at as such. That the only things expected of Christians today are those things that are very explicitly and directly commanded. Well, do we need Bible authority for what we practice in the church? The advocate of a new hermeneutic or method of interpretation says, no, that we should not look to the Bible as a pattern and that we do not need precepts, examples, or certainly necessary inferences for our rule of faith. In fact, some would tell us it's really just a matter of studying the life of Jesus and seek to apply the general principles that he lived by and do as we feel he would do, and that we really shouldn't concern ourselves with strictly following Scripture. I would say that's the attitude of a great, great many people in our modern religious world. question is, is that how Jesus looked at the Bible when he was on earth? Well, let's examine the Savior's view of sacred Scripture. First of all, I want to point out that Jesus respected the Scriptures as the Word of God and not that of men. The Lord often cited the words of prophets such as Moses and Isaiah, and he attributed their words to God himself. For example, in uh, Mark chapter 7, when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for elevating their own traditions above the law, he cited the things that Moses said and called them the words and commandments of the Lord. Listen carefully as he says, beginning in verse 8, For laying aside the commandment of God, Ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And ye said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. Well, what did he mean by the commandment of God? Well, look at verse 10. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his mother or father, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Now while Jesus identified the source of the law as coming from God, 
he acknowledges that it was delivered through Moses. Well, that's the way uh, the Word of God came. That's the way inspiration works. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All Scripture, and of course when Paul wrote this, they had the Old Testament Scriptures in existence, as I've already pointed out. He said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration is the translation of a Greek word meaning breath. Or to put it simply, like when you speak, it's literally the breath coming out of your mouth. So Paul says all Scripture is the breath of God. It is God-breathed. It is what God Himself has spoken. But God used men as His mouthpiece to relay those messages. And the Holy Spirit superintended that. Peter said of the prophets of old that they spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And that means that they were guided and superintended by the Holy Spirit when they spoke and wrote so that the Word of God was accurately conveyed. Now, if God has a message for mankind, would we really believe that God would just let man haphazardly communicate it in whatever way He wanted? Rather, God, through His Holy Spirit, saw to it that His Word was perfectly conveyed. Now later, Paul would say of he and the other apostles of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, that the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts, speaking of he and the other apostles, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So God placed the message within men by His Holy Spirit. Paul could then affirm that God was speaking through he and the other apostles because they were inspired of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what he affirmed in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 37 when he reminded the church at Corinth that the things that he wrote unto them are the commandments of the Lord. Now friend, that's how Jesus viewed Scripture as well. He said what Moses commanded was the commandment of the Lord. He believed in the verbal and plenary inspiration of the Scriptures. Some allege, though, that the Bible cannot really be taken as a historically accurate book. Well, is that how Jesus looked at the Bible? Some tell us the stories told in the Old Testament, for example, were myths and legends passed down from generation to generation and were simply the Bible writer's way of understanding the world around them and their own histories of people, and that's how we should look at them. But is that how Jesus looked at them? Is that how Jesus spoke about and treated those accounts? I contend that Jesus accepted the historicity, for example, of the flood in Noah's time. A lot of people today doubt that. But I believe Jesus affirmed that the flood occurred. He spoke of it and used it as an illustration in Matthew 24, verses 37 and 39. And there's nothing in that discourse to indicate that such was simply a story made up by Moses or anybody else. He spoke of it as a historical event. He spoke of Jonah spending three days and nights in the belly of that great fish in Matthew 12, verses 39 through 41, comparing that to his own entombment after his crucifixion and his resurrection on the third day thereafter. Jesus gave every indication that such were true events. He affirmed the inspiration and the historicity of such accounts, and therefore, so should we. You know, Jesus also respected the literal and specific accuracy of the Scriptures. Jesus thought that words as used in Scripture were critically important. 
He didn't have this loose view of Scripture that so many people seem to take today. Now, how do we know that? Well, listen to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now a jot was the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And a tittle was but the tiny stroke distinguishing one letter from another. So Jesus didn't say, now, you know, what you need to do is just see the big picture and stop straining at the details. Jesus acknowledged that every word of the law was important and binding. Listen, Jesus, uh, even one of his most powerful arguments against the Sadducees who denied the resurrection, his most powerful argument to them was by pointing to the tense of a single verb, a verb that if you weren't paying very close and careful attention, you would miss the point altogether. Listen to the argument that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. He said, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, written by Moses, by the way, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Notice he says, I am, not I was. I am the God of these men. And then if God is the God of the living, and at the same time he is the God, not was, but is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had physically died, well, logically that means that those men were at least in some sense not dead. And Jesus uses the statement recorded by Moses to affirm the truth of the future resurrection when those men who in their spirits are alive will one day be granted glorified bodies, as will every other living being who has died. Now, friend, that's a foundational truth. And in this case, Jesus used the tense of a verb to make the argument. Don't lose sight of that. Don't miss that. Friend, words matter. God's words certainly matter, and every single one of them. There's not a word that God has spoken that is unimportant and insignificant. Now, there may be words that support the narrative and support other words that are more uh, central to the truth being conveyed, but that doesn't make those other words insignificant. They're there for a reason. The Word of God was carefully spoken, not haphazardly. It was carefully revealed and given and written down. You know, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he said in Matthew 4 and verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I've seen people get frustrated by Bible discussions and debate because, well, they thought it was too technical, too picky, straining at insignificant words and phrases. Friend, there is no such thing as an insignificant word or phrase in the Word of God. It's, it's there for a reason. And that's why we need to be careful as we examine the Word of God and even be careful about how we use Bible translations and Bible translations that we rely upon. I'm thankful that we have a number of Bible translations to read and compare and to study, but we have to be careful that we don't just play fast and loose with the words of God. We have to be very astute and compare, be particular and conscientiously careful as we examine the Word of God. Not because the Word of God's in dispute, but because those words mean something and we need to be careful that we know what they mean. Someone says, but you see, that's what the Pharisees did. 
The Pharisees were all about straining at words and definitions and so forth. No, no, no. Friend, the Pharisees strained at the Word of God not to find the truth, not so they could do the will of God. The Pharisees strained at the Word of God to find loopholes. The Pharisees strained at the Word of God so they could abuse it and find a way around doing God's commandment, such as we learned in the passage we read a few moments ago. They weren't trying to determine the will of God. Jesus never said that we shouldn't pay careful attention to the Word of God in order to determine and do the will of God. Jesus said we live by every word that God has spoken. And that's not all that we learn about Jesus' attitude toward the Scriptures when He dealt with the devil in the desert wilderness. He affirmed not only the specific accuracy of the Bible, He affirmed the authority of the Scriptures. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He refused to compromise what was written in Scripture for his own comfort, his own convenience, for his self-serving purposes. He didn't say, well, it meant that then, but it doesn't mean that now, and so therefore uh, I can do this or I can do that and do the other. He knew what was written. He understood that to do the will of God and please his heavenly Father, he had to abide by what was written. Even the Son of God abided by what was written. He was intent on doing the will of God, and doing the will of God is doing that which is written. Not, well, I think, or it seems, or I feel, or it may have used to have been that way, but it doesn't matter anymore. What is written? Friend, is that your attitude toward the Scripture? I meet a lot of people who cannot give Bible for their belief or for their practice, but they think, or it seems, or they feel as though, or you know God gave us good old common sense. Well, listen, it's not common sense if it goes against what's revealed in the Word of God. Jesus said it is written. Not only that, He also showed the necessity of harmony in interpreting the Bible. In verses 6 and 7, of the temptation account. Uh, Satan quoted Scripture, and he'll do that, you know. But he quoted Scripture out of its context, and he purposefully did that and twisted it to bolster his cause and to lead someone astray. Jesus, of course, wouldn't be led astray. When he told Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, he said, the Bible says his angels will take care of you. In their hands they'll bear you up so that you don't even dash your foot on a stone. But Jesus showed that that scripture had nothing to do with Jesus jumping off the temple because Jesus' reply was, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now Jesus wasn't saying that one scripture made the other untrue. What he was showing was that the other scripture was being misused because such an interpretation contradicted what else the Word of God said. Now friend, the Bible doesn't contradict the Bible. And if you have to ignore or dismiss or even deny some Bible statement or commandment in order to uphold your doctrine, friend, your doctrine is not correct. Your doctrine is untrue. If you ignore what Jesus said, for example, Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, verse 16. Peter said in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And I could stack up a long list of scriptures that show that baptism is the point in which a person receives forgiveness of his sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Now that's what the Bible says. But somebody says, because Paul said, By grace are ye saved through faith, well, then that means that all of those passages on baptism, well, that's, that's just another matter. Well, friend, the fact is, a person doesn't understand grace, faith, or baptism if they take that approach to all of those passages of Scripture. They're all true, and they all harmonize. There's no contradiction between he who believes and is baptized shall be saved 
and for by grace are ye saved through faith. And if we have the time today, we could go in and show why that is the case. Jesus believed in rightly dividing the Word of God, not pitting Scripture against Scripture and so forth. Jesus also showed that Scripture is intended to teach man how to worship and how to live. Notice he said in verse 10, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. He also said to the Pharisees, You worship me in vain, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men, Mark 7 and verse 7, not the commandments of God. You see, again, don't be mistaken. The Pharisees weren't in the business of teaching the commandments of God. They were teaching the commandments of their elders. They would have been right if they were teaching people to worship according to the will of God, but they weren't. They were replacing God's way with their own way, the traditions of their fathers setting aside the law of God, which multitudes of people are also doing today by saying God doesn't care how we worship, and worshiping by the traditions of men instead of what they can read in Scripture. When people say, well, one way will do just as well as another, and so forth, that was not Jesus' attitude toward the Scriptures. Jesus saw the Scripture as a divinely revealed pattern for God's people to follow. He upheld Moses, the lawgiver, as being the authority in the worship and life of the Jewish nation before the new covenant was ratified with the church, and he taught that in the age to come, his will was to be followed in our worship and service as well. He told the Samaritan woman at the well, The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. John 4 and verse 23. And finally, Jesus even believed that divine truth was conveyed by example and implication. Listen, he upheld his own life as an example to follow, and he set examples in worship and service. For example, when he established the Lord's Supper as a memorial to his death, he selected three simple elements, a loaf of bread and a cup of fruit of the vine. He shared the loaf and the cup with the disciples gathered with him and then said, This do in remembrance of me. He didn't say, remember me or remember me in some way. He said, this do in remembrance of me. What? What he just did. He was setting an example. This do in remembrance of me. Some say, well, Bible examples are not binding. That's not how Jesus viewed Bible examples. And he even shows us that divine truth is often implied within Scripture. That is, the Scripture leads us to a logical and sound conclusion, which is to be accepted and believed as truth. Again, in that conversation with the Sadducees concerning the resurrection in Matthew 22, Jesus uses necessary inference, as we call it, to teach, teach them one of the most pivotal doctrines of sacred scripture. He didn't point to a scripture that said, there shall be a resurrection. He pointed to a scripture that said, God is the God of the living and not the dead, and that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So therefore, if God is the God of the God of the living and not the, de and not the dead, and He's also the God of those men, then it must be necessarily inferred that there is life after death. Some today would say, well, you could ignore that teaching because he didn't just come out and say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. He didn't say that, but he said the same thing as that. He necessarily implied it. God implied it when he originally made the statement through Moses in Exodus 3 and verse 6. Friend, Jesus believed every word of Scripture is important that every word proceeded from the mouth of God, that the Scriptures furnish God's people with a rule by which to live and a pattern by which to serve Him. Do you have the same attitude toward the Bible that Jesus had? Or do you loosely approach the Scriptures? Do you see the Bible as just a vague revelation from God with no real authority in the life of the church? Do you believe that Bible authority is unnecessary for your practices and your traditions in worship, that it's just being too picky? to actually try to worship as the apostles taught the early church to worship, 
and preach exactly the same things they preached, then, friend, you don't share Jesus' view of Scripture. He respected Scripture. He obeyed Scripture. He exalted Scripture as the authority for belief and practice. And may we have the same love, respect, and high view of God's holy and precious Word today. to see today's study again? Watch Let the Bible Speak anytime, even on the go, on your computer, tablet, or smartphone. Go to letthebiblespeak.tv and also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. It's always a delight to be with you to study the Word of God. If this is your first time to watch Let the Bible Speak, I hope that you'll make a weekly appointment to join me here to open up the Bible and to study it together and that you'll tell other people about Let the Bible Speak in the days to come. If you'd like a copy of today's lesson, it's free of charge. Simply ask for the lesson, How Jesus Viewed Scripture. And we will get that to you as soon as we can. It's free of charge. And I want to emphasize, as we often do here on the program, we will never charge you a penny for anything that we offer here on the program. We will never send you mail soliciting money, asking for donations, because we're not here for your money. This program and the materials that are provided to you are offered to you by members of the Church of Christ in your community. And uh, we're glad for you to take advantage of the offer and to receive those and study them and to know more about the Lord and His will as a result. So we're glad that you've joined us today. We hope to hear from you asking for today's lesson. Remember, you can find us online, ltbstv.org, and on social media. Do us a favor, won't you, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and subscribe. We recently topped 15,000 subscribers, and the channel is growing daily, and we'd like for you to be a part of that. If you would subscribe to our channel and share our content, we would surely appreciate it, and you'll help the truth of God's Word to go even farther. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you have a great week ahead and that you'll make your plans to meet me back here if God is willing next time. Until then, may God richly bless you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. 
Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.